Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Graw, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Marrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology. We retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 42, 43, is it? It's... This is, I had the wrong thing open. 43, episode 43. I should have known that. You will certainly know that from clicking, having been the one to click on it, of course. We are coming to you, as always, from the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network here in Dublin. Uh, it is a great pleasure to be here today. I am very excited about this week's episode for a number of reasons. First of all, we have got our biggest announcement ever so far anyway in that fireside will be performing live in the dublin podcast festival in november on november 20th here in headstuff in the brand new podcast studios uh, downstairs under our current studios where we will be having headstuff are opening a new studio which is also going to be a venue called the podcast studios so we are going to be doing our second live show on november 20th here uh, it's on westland road it's in dublin too and it'll be anyone who was at the last fireside sessions will know exactly what kind of thing to expect but it'll be a live evening of of story of song of music, of verse, of everything wonderful about Fireside and more. And I'm very excited. I'm babbling a little bit about it now because I'm very excited. Um, But basically the tickets will be extremely limited for it. Uh, But tickets are available now from Ticketmaster. What will I'll say that a little bit better again. So what it'll be is it'll be an invited audience to come in and basically it'll be an a winter's evening of song and story, of folklore, of uh, of some of my own stories. I'll have some special guests. It'll be a evening weave of song and story, which I hope will be as an even bigger success than the first Fireside Sessions was in Bellow Bar in August. Uh, I ca- I was already couldn't wait to do another one, and I was so so happy that Headstuff asked me to perform it live at the Podcast Festival. The Podcast Festival when I started this podcast last year. Last year's podcast festival had just finished, and so it was one of my big ambitions for this for Fireside was that by the following year it would be at a level where it would be invited to do the podcast festival. So I'm delighted that the lads here felt that it is, and I'm so excited. And tickets are available now online, Ticketmaster, November 20th, the Fireside Sessions. Come along for some tales, some tunes, and a tipple. It is BYOB. What more could you want? Come and make a jug of punch. It'll teach you all how to make a lovely jug of punch. Wouldn't that be fantastic? 
But I will uh, obviously reveal more and more about the live show as we go along. Hang on, big man. But today's episode is one I am particularly excited about because it is a two-parter. So if it's your first time listening, you're very welcome. Uh, this one will be fine to listen to. Maybe if you were starting to listen at the next episode, I'd say stop right now. But this is a this is a big one in terms of this is one of the most again this is one of the most famous Irish myths of all, and certainly quite possibly one of the very most rich and inspirational to other writers and poets. This is a character that appears in various other texts, a lot of which are some of my favourites, things I've ever read. And so I thought that the story itself deserved to be spread into two parts. I probably could have fit the story into one episode, but I wanted to do some talking and some reading of other extracts and stuff from it as well. So I'm going to get down to it uh, so that I have time to get it all in. But I hope you enjoy hearing all about the madness of King Sweeney on Fireside. The Madness of King Sweeney Before the Tour de Danon, before the Fair Bullock, before even the Fomor, the tiny windy island in the northeast Atlantic Sea, now known as Era, was occupied by the Cruhan people who came to this island from western Scotland. The Cruhans set up various tribes around the island, but their main settlement came to be known as Dalari, situated in the areas between contemporary Down and Armagh. In the 6th century AD, the Tuatha Dé had come and gone, and a new invader had arrived in Ireland, the Christian. Following the lead of St. Patrick, Christian monks travelled the length and breadth of the island, trying to convert people from the belief in the Tuatha Dé to belief in their one God. The Tuatha had long since been forced underground to the other world, so the monks' campaign was bloodless, yet astonishingly successful. At the time of the island's conversion, the king of Dalari was called Sweeney. Sweeney held steadfast to his beliefs in the gods of the Tuatadanan, and was willing to fight these peaceful Christian monks by any means necessary. The unfortunate monk who found himself in Sweeney's lands was Ronan Finn, later Bishop Ronan, and later still Saint Ronan, a formidable opponent for the Celtic king. Ronan Finn had built a church for Dalari, and upon its completion he had a ceremonial ringing of the church bell, to quite literally ring in this new era of Christian worship in this pagan land. The chime of the bells echoed through Dalari, right into the keep of Sweeney. The noise echoed within the chamber of the king's brain, bringing about a blind fury. That's it, cried Sweeney. Too long have I watched these Christians come over here with their one god, undermining my rule and trying to take my lands from under me. I will put an end to this myself. No, cried Euron, Sweeney's queen. The Christians may have different beliefs than us, but they are peaceful and non-violent. If you spill Christian blood, it will be your undoing. But Sweeney could not be reasoned with. Euron attempted to physically restrain him by holding on to his crimson cloak, but the tighter she pulled, the more pressure that was put on the silver cloak fastener. Sweeney could see he was not getting anywhere with the cloak attached, and so further blinded by anger, the king unfastened the cloak and marched out of the keep, 
Bollock naked. The naked king followed the tormenting bells and eventually came to the lake where Ronan had built his church. There Sweeney found the cleric reading aloud to a gathered crowd from his psalter. A psalter was a book of psalms, often beautifully illustrated, used to broaden the literacy of early Christians. And the psalter of Ronan Finn was as beautiful and unique as you were likely to find. The naked Sweeney marched right up to Ronan Finn. The cleric announced to the crowd, My friends, we have been blessed with the presence of King Sweeney, who comes as naked as the day God made him. Indeed, we all remain naked in God's eyes. His Majesty here is taking that rather literally. Don't you dare use me as part of your brainwashing shite. And with that, King Sweeney punched a priest in the face. Ronan Finn collapsed to the ground like a tower of cards, his cries of agony muffled under the hands holding his bloody nose. Sweeney took the cleric's psalter and with a mighty lunge hurled the book into the lake. The psalter barely floated before filling with water and sinking to the bottom. Sweeney then grabbed the groaning Ronan by the collar of his robes and announced to the still-gathered crowd, "'And ever thus to all Christians are Christian followers!' and he began to beat Ronan Finn within an inch of his life. But before Sweeney could finish the job, a messenger arrived, as they always seemed to do. The message was from Congal Klein, the King of Ulster. Congal was at war with his foster father, Donal II, High King of Era. Congal was summoning all of his allies for the final battle of Moira. Sweeney was a loyal ally of Congal Klein, and so, covered in blood and still very much naked, Sweeney left the severely beaten Ronan Finn and went to prepare for battle. The crowd dispersed, and the wounded cleric crawled back into the sanctity of his church to heal. A day and a night passed, when Ronan went back out to the lake. He mourned the loss of his psalter, an incredible, valuable and rare book, and the only one he had. It isn't like I can just go to the market to buy another one, he thought to himself. Roland also felt anger and still sore from the bruises given to him by the wild King Sweeney. The clerk knew he shouldn't think vengeful thoughts, but was overpowered by each breath laboured by his cracked ribs. Not even the calming waters of the lake could ease his mind, so much did it remind him of Sweeney and his lost psalter. But at that moment... An otter emerged from the water, and resting on the otter's tummy was Ronan Finn's psalter. The little otter ferried the book back to the cleric, and upon inspection, the psalter was completely and totally unharmed. Ronan Finn broke down onto his knees and gave thanks to his god for this sign and blessing. What about me? cried the otter. Oh, I'm sorry, lord, said Ronan Finn. "'Is your voice channeling through this otter?' "'Oh, this is my voice,' said the otter. "'Well, it is a miracle in itself for God to have sent this otter "'the gift of speech and intelligence "'so that he may ferry my psalter back to me.' "'That's gratitude for you,' said the otter. "'You help a man out, he gets on his knees and thanks his God. "'I'm getting out of here. "'There's a coach in Limerick City with my name on it. "'Mark my words, you haven't heard the last of Yorty Ahern.' and the otter swam away. Ronan Finn quickly put the otter from his mind, 
and got back to praising God, or rather cursing his enemy King Sweeney. The cleric took the return of the Psalter as a sign from God that he should act on the darkest and most violent of his thoughts. He would take revenge on King Sweeney. It was God's will. Sweeney came to me, naked and in a frenzy. So let it be that he remains for the rest of his days. Let a madness descend upon this pagan king, that he will take flight and wander this land until he meets a bloody end. But spare his wife, Yorlan, for she tried to stop the wicked king. For this she has my blessing, as she should have yours, Lord. But a curse on Sweeney for the remainder of his long and tormented life. Before vengeance could be his, Ronan Finn first attempted to broker peace between the warring kings Kungal and Donal. It became clear very immediately that this was not possible. The Battle of Moira would go ahead. What Ronan Finn did manage to successfully negotiate were terms. The cleric made both kings agree that not a drop of blood would be shed from either side until the battle, and not outside the hours of the battle day. So no murder by dawn or by evening. Everyone on both sides agreed to this, except, of course, for King Sweeney. The king of Dalari had answered the summons of his friend, Congal, but now that he was here, he thirsted for blood. When the day of the battle came, Sweeney was the first on the field and drew blood before the battle even started, and at night... He was the last to leave the field, always killing at least one of Donal's men after battle had ended. Breaking the pact of the two kings, all to spite Ronan Finn. Each and every night the cleric would get down on his knees and pray to his god to smite Sweeney. But then came the final insult. Several days into the battle, Ronan Finn and eight of his loyal disciple psalmists were traversing both camps, blessing and healing the gallant warriors, sprinkling holy water wherever they could. Several drops of the holy water landed on the forehead of King Sweeney, and the king, not believing in the same gods, took this as yet another personal slight. Did I not teach you a lesson the last time, he cried, before taking his spear and casting it right through the chest of one of Ronan's psalmists. The young shish-kebabbed monk fell to the ground, bloody and dead. But Sweeney wasn't finished. He pulled his spear from the fresh corpse and aimed it instead at Ronan Finn, aiming to spear his heart right through his chest. Sweeney's aim was true and precise, but Ronan wore around his neck a large bell hanging from a chain. The point of the spear pierced and cracked the bell of the bell before breaking apart and ricocheting through the air. If the cleric had been the type to carry weapons, this is surely when they would have been drawn. But being a man of peace, he broke down to his knees and asked God to again do the violence. Lord, let this treacherous fiend who has slain your servant and attempted to vanquish me were it not for your protection. Let Sweeney be driven into an eternal frenzy. Let him fly like a bird across the land until he meets a just and bloody end at the point of a spear, just like he would have had for me and all of your servants. Sweeney cackled at the man on his knees. If you want me dead, do it yourself. Don't beg your god to do your own dirty work, you coward. But just as Sweeney began to draw his own sword to finish off Ronan Finn, 
The drums and horns and cries of war began to rise up. The battle was recommencing. I guess your god is looking after you after all, mocked Sweeney. I'll see you after this battle is done. And the king mustered his own men and charged into the heart of battle. But when King Sweeney reached the epicentre of the battle, a place he usually felt at his most content and full of purpose, the sight and sound of his screams and shouts of blood, gore, loss of limb, of bowel, of life, began to penetrate not just the king's eyes but his mind and soul. Sweeney felt paralysed. His hands stiffened and froze as his sword fell to the ground. His pupils dilated, his eyes widened, his mouth began to foam until the king took a breath and let out a cry, almost childlike, as if it were the sound of an innocence or all that was good in a person being lost to the void of darkness. Sweeney's men surrounded their king. They attempted to hold and comfort him. They had all stood by him through the years. He was their loyal and brave commander. They had faced many horrors and had never flinched. But when they heard the cry of Sweeney, it was more horrifying than anything they had ever seen. They all backed away, but the cry kept going, longer than any mortal lung capacity would allow. It became hoarse and weak, until the last of the king's sanity had been expelled. It was quiet for a single resolved moment. Before he began to pounce, light-footed from one to the other. He spread his arms as if to fly away before looking at his armour, as if it was the only thing weighing him down. The king stripped off armour and tunic and undergarment until he was as naked as he was when attacking Ronan Finn. But Sweeney did not stay naked for long. Not because he put on clothes, but because as soon as his skin was bare, feathers began to sprout from his skin like seeds from the earth. This was clearly another agonizing event for the king, but it was not long before he was unrecognizable as human. He was not man, but he was not quite bird either. He was something in between, something new, something frightening. He was mad King Sweeney, and now, winged and free, he lifted off the battlefield, far up into the sky and down into the trees. Sweeney was astray and Roman Finn's vengeance had been fulfilled. To be continued. And that is part one of The Madness of King Sweeney, part two next week. I hope you enjoyed that. So this is... We've been exploring the historical cycle, the King cycle... Of uh, of Irish mythology, and this is considered the the epicenter of this. This is the centerpiece. Uh, this is considered the great triumph of uh, of the historical cycle, indeed of of Irish mythology. One of the most, it's considered one of the greatest pieces of Irish bardic poetry. And um, like the story is set around the sixth seventh century, uh, but like this story, text of this story exists from over a thousand years ago. This we have a surviving, completed version of this story from incredibly long ago. Considering that a lot of the texts is, a lot of the texts, particularly of the mytholo- mythological cycle, didn't survive the conversion to Christianity, and we have very little evidence, or not even evidence, but very little textual um, sources left of a lot of the myths. But uh, Bula Suvna, as as it is in Irish, uh, Sweeney's frenzy is one of the most 
preserved and valuable of these old Irish texts. But the character of Sweeney is... I first encountered the character of Sweeney a couple of years ago, two years ago, I think, when I first read uh, At Swim to Birds, which is Flann O'Brien's masterpiece for anyone outside of Ireland, because Flann O'Brien... might be the greatest Irish writer that you might not have heard of if you're not actually from Ireland because his his work among like if you're a literary scholar in any way and you're interested in Irish literature you've no doubt heard of him he is incredibly well known maybe I am short selling his uh, his his breadth of of fame outside the island of Ireland but he is even I would say he's even underappreciated here not entirely for reasons that were within his control so Flann O'Brien was a satirist. He was post James Joyce, and he's he wrote. Uh, he was kind of the first Irish postmodernist writer. He had the theory that uh, that why did a book need to just have one beginning, one middle, and one end? So he basically tries to write about five or six different books in one story, uh, in the story of At Swim Two Birds, which is. It's very difficult to describe at Swim Two Birds. It is basically the story of a young a young student writer who goes around Dublin drinking pints and not really studying for his exams, who uh, regularly like retreats into his memory and is writing these various different stories which all link and don't link. He basically creates a character within an within a story that is able to control, that is able to get out of his own story and start controlling his own author. It is um, it is as complicated as it sounds. It can be a dense, it's quite a short, but a very dense book to get through. But it is brilliant and it is hilarious. And if you can stick with it and uh, invest in it, uh, it is an incredibly rewarding book to read. I would certainly, when people are be asking me about great Irish writers and what they should read at Swim Two Birds is always one I do recommend. Uh, it is perhaps uh, I have uh, I've decided I'd read a little section from it, just a little opening passage to give you all a bit of an example of it. I give this example because uh, King Sweeney is one of the main characters in At Swim Two Birds. In fact, that is where the title At Swim Two Birds come from, which is um, Snav Da Ain is a river that uh, is an estuary of the River Shannon in Ireland, which is one of the places that King Sweeney comes to on his journey. In fact, we will meet, we will be at Swim Two Birds in, uh, in part two of the story. But I will read just a little sample passage from this. Having placed in my mouth sufficient bread for three minutes chewing, I withdrew my powers of sensual perception and retired into the privacy of my mind. My eyes and face assumed a vacant and preoccupied expression. I reflected on the subject of my spare time literary activities. One beginning and one ending for a book was a thing I did not agree with. A good book may have three openings, entirely dissimilar, and interrelated only in the prescience of the author. Or, for that matter, one hundred times as many endings. Examples of three separate openings. The first... The Puka McFellamy, 
a member of the devil class, sat in his hut in the middle of a fir wood, meditating on the nature of the numerals and segregating in his mind the odd ones from the even. He was seated at his diptych, or ancient two-leaved hinge, writing-table with inner sides waxed. His rough, long-nailed fingers toyed with a snuff-box of perfect rotundity, and through a gap in his teeth he whistled a civil cavatina. He was a courtly man and received honour by reason of the generous treatment he gave his wife, one of the Corrigans of Carlo. The Second Opening there was nothing unusual in the appearance of Mr. John Forsky, but actually he had one distinction that is rarely encountered. He was born at the age of twenty-five, and entered the world with a memory but without a personal experience to account for it. His teeth were well formed but stained by tobacco, with two molars filled and a cavity threatened in the left canine. His knowledge of physics was moderate and extended to Boyle's Law and the Parallelogram of Forces. The third opening. Finn McCool was a legendary hero of old Ireland. Though not mentally robust, he was a man of superb physique and development. Each of his thighs was as thick as a horse's belly, narrowing to a calf as thick as the belly of a foal. Three fifties of fosterlings could engage with handball against the wideness of his backside, which was large enough to halt the march of men through a mountain pass. I hurt a toot in the corner of my jaw with a lump of the crust I was eating. This recalled me to my perception of my surroundings. "'It is a great pity,' observed my uncle, "'that you don't apply yourself more to your studies. "'The dear knows that your father worked hard enough for the money he's laying out for education. "'Tell me this, do you ever open up a book at all?' "'I surveyed my uncle in a sullen manner.' He speared a portion of cooked rasher against a crush on the prongs of his fork and poised the whole at the opening of his mouth in a token of continued interrogation. Description of my uncle. Red-faced, beady-eyed, ball-bellied, fleshy about the shoulders and long-swinging arms giving ape-like effect to gait. Large moustache, holder of Guinness clerkship, the third class. I do, I replied. He put the point of his fork into the interior of his mouth and withdrew it again, chewing in a coarse manner. Quality of rasher in use of household. Inferior, one and two the pound. I could basically keep going with that, but that is the that is the opening couple of pages of At Swim Two Birds. And hopefully if there's even any of you at all who go, yeah, I think I will check that out. We didn't even get to Sweeney there, but what we did, of course, get to was that, yes, Fionn McCool is one of the characters in... Uh, in it as well and what Flan O'Brien tries to do in a very postmodernist genius way is is one of the things that I adore I love the idea of mixing as one critic of his says mixing mythology with nonsense this it is a very simple story of uh, a young lad who drinks too much doesn't study enough arguing with his uncle in his house in Dublin and uh, but it is frequented with the interior of this author's mind of these different characters, some silly, some funny, some serious, um, and mixing in these mythological, often lofty characters into the humour of this, by portraying Fionn McCool as a man with a an arse so big that you could play handball against it. What an incredible, what an incredible imagery is that? But when it comes to King Sweeney. Um, the main source I have for this this doesn't come from Bard Mythologies this hasn't even come from W.B. Yeats or Lady Gregory where my main source for this came from was uh, Seamus Heaney 
who is Ireland's fourth and most recent Nobel Prize winner for literature. Indeed, he's not long dead. He's only dead a few years. And of course, in typical fashion, I remember Seamus Heaney being alive my whole life because uh, he's he's from Northern Ireland originally, but towards um, for most of the rest of his life, he lived in Wicklow, uh, where I'm from. And just in school, and his poetry would have been on a lot of Irish syllabuses and everything. But it was always he was the, always the poet who was alive. So I don't think you know, if, in typical human fashion, we don't appreciate these people totally until they're dead. But now that he is dead, there are exhibitions all over town at the moment, even um, of and like re-releasing of his poetry. And he is now being suitably enough hailed as as the near Yeats level of uh, of poet that he is. But in 1983, he adapted a novel-length poem verse of uh, of Sweeney of the story of King Sweeney called Sweeney Astray, which I've been reading over the past couple of months, um, dipping in and out of it. It's quite short, but uh, you, like I've been trying to actually really take it in, obviously for trying to adapt it for here, and it's just been wonderful and. I wanted to read another couple of little bits from there before I'm kicked out of here. Um, I wanted to describe... Uh, I'll read this bit part of how, how Seamus Heaney writes Sweeney actually breaking down into madness there. There were three great shouts as the herded armies clashed and roared out their war cries like stags. When Sweeney heard these howls and echoes assumed into the travelling clouds and amplified through the vaults of space, he looked up and what he saw was possessed by dark, rendering energy. His brain convulsed, his mind split open, vertigo, hysteria, lurchings and launchings came over him. He staggered and flapped desperately. He was revolted by the thought of known places and dreamed strange migrations. His fingers stiffened, his feet scuffled and flurried, his heart was startled, his senses were mesmerised, his sight was bent. The weapons fell from his hands, and he levitated in a frantic, cumbersome motion like a bird of the air, and Ronan's curse was fulfilled. So that just gives you one example of some of the verse from it, and it is absolutely, it is a beautiful, stunning uh, adaptation of this story. And I, in my very humble way, I'm trying to write, adapt this short version of it into, in two episodes of this podcast where I wanted to talk about it. I, uh, we do have to wrap up here, unfortunately, this episode. But part two will be the second half of the story of King Sweeney. And we'll talk in a bit more detail about it as well some other adaptations of it. Might read more of the Heaney. Might uh, read some of the Sweeney sections of At Some Two Birds. And also, uh, any Neil Gaiman fans will know that in American Gods, there is a character called Mad Sweeney, who is certainly inspired by the Sweeney in this story but is very different for a few reasons so I might even read a little bit of American Gods starting to try out this new sample thing of uh, reading some text from things as uh, as we start to move forward in this podcast when there was so much rich when there's such a rich tapestry to work with here particularly with a character like Sweeney I, I had to even though it just ends up making looking my writing so much worse I still want I want people to go out, you know, if you do like this story, why wouldn't you go out and find the the best versions of it? And Sweeney Astray is certainly one of those beautiful, beautiful pieces uh, that has really, really stayed with me, and I recommend everyone who likes it to read it. But I will go on there. Uh, but yes, please do 
if you're around Dublin, November 20th, and you want to come in and escape that winter to a lovely evening of tales, tunes, and a little owl drink, come to the Fireside Sessions on November 20th in the podcast studios as part of the Dublin Podcast Festival. I'm so, so, so incredibly excited to be planning this at the moment, and I can't wait to do it. Tickets are extremely limited to it, um, so please do book if you are planning on coming. Uh, thanks so much to Alan and Paddy and everyone here at Headstuff. Thank you for Jamie, my editor and producer, for keeping working with me on this podcast thank you so much to the listener if you do want to if you're interested uh, in follow me follow me on instagram at uh, fireside bard all one word or on twitter with the same handle hey uh, you can get all the updates on the podcast festival and on the fireside sessions right there and i will see you all you will hear me all next time around the fireside thank you and goodbye this podcast is part of the headstuff podcast network